Ready graphics? Ready theme? It's not super inspiring, right? Like 24% of eighth graders are proficient in civics. And this is something that like you could argue, am I gonna use calculus, you know, when I'm 30? Uh, maybe, but uh, the, the civics proficiency thing is, is, is pretty awful. Hi everyone, it's Lauren. I just wanted to quickly introduce this episode of the podcast where I interview Carrie Ray Hill, Director of Digital Learning at iCivics. I actually conducted this interview way back in June of 2020, but we at the podcast feel that it is still relevant. We really felt that this was going to be a great companion piece to the episode I Want My FYI because of the beginning of the episode, which we talked about. Many teens and tweens at the time really needed a civics education. Today, civics is so important for many reasons, particularly because it is not taught in classrooms throughout the United States like it was when Jesse and I were kids. So we hope that you'll enjoy this interview and learn more about iCivics, particularly because of the amazing women Supreme Court justices who helped to start iCivics and continue iCivics's cause. Will the mystery guest please sign in? Hello, I am Carrie Rayhill. Um, I guess my business card, if we had them anymore, would say the Director of Digital Learning at iCivics. Um, that's a fancy way to say um, that I get to help make video games um, for kids about civics. Um, fun fact, I don't really think I played a video game until I started working here in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> and went out and bought a Wii. <laughs> And did Call of Duty, and I'm a very good sniper. You didn't play Oregon Trail? Oh, well, yeah. No, that and Carmen San Diego, I did. I just, I never feel oh, that I'm fully legit. Carmen San Diego is my gal. Oh, that was my favorite. It's the best. Um, but I didn't do the Mario World, you know, space. So sure. I, I have to pretend like I'm cooler than I am with the, <laughs> the young folk. Um, but yeah, so I, I used to teach in um, D.C. and in St. Louis. I did middle school social studies, civics, all that good stuff. And then got, uh, I'd say roped in, I suppose, to this amazing gig, um, starting writing curriculum. And then I just kind of slowly went over to the game side. So that's what I do. Now for our, our audience out there who may not be familiar with iCivics, can you give sort of a short rundown on what you guys do? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, we're free. If any teachers or parents are listening, that's the most important thing to, to just get out there. Um, but we're a nonprofit really focused on providing really high quality, excellent and engaging civic education resources. We have over, I guess, 200, well, more than that now, um, resources that includes print and go lesson plans, um, digital learning tools like a document-based question tool, web quests, but really our kind of claim to fame is our video games. And these are all super fun, engaging, kind of kid-friendly uh, ways to have your kids understand civics a little better. So they get to play the president or they get to be a member of Congress or, um, you know, work in their communities, fictional communities to, to make the world a better place. They were originally designed for middle and high school kids, um, but truth be told, we've got fourth graders who are crazy about them, and I have college professors emailing me about how they use them in class. So, yeah. We were founded by Justice uh, Sandra Day O'Connor when she retired. That's kind of our other claim to fame. Um, she's our fairy godmother, I always say. But she was really kind of despondent in, I don't know, the late aughts uh, about kind of the state of civic education and where we were as a country. And in addition to a lot of her other focus um, areas, she really wanted to work on civic education. So we we launched in 2010 as iCivics, and basically she told us to go out there and educate every single kid in America. I was like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that um, having been out of the education system for a while now, I didn't realize how civics is not taught in schools the way it was when, when I was growing up. Yeah, it is really taken a far back seat, like it's in a trailer being hauled in the back um, to mostly STEM. And we love STEM. Um, it's just that it's it's kind of, it always gets placed behind, even though really you could argue that, you know, civics could very easily be part of the STEM conversation too. Um, and, you know, not only is it being taught, but the way it's being taught sometimes isn't the most productive um, manner of education. So we got work to do. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that really uh, took me about what you guys do. Um, I was lucky enough, as I mentioned to you by email, to uh, meet one of your representatives at one of the Seneca Women's Conferences, actually where Justice Sotomayor was speaking, which we can talk about as well. I understand that she has taken over the mantle uh, for um, Justice uh, O'Connor. But I digress. I realize how much civics has helped me to become a better voter. And something that surprised me while doing research on you guys is that it was, I think, a 2018 study, and please correct me if I am wrong, said only about 32% of the people that they polled could name all three branches of the government. More can name a Kardashian. That's that's the kind of talking. Uh, (laughs) I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. (laughs) No, no, no. Like, if we could just, you know, somehow get on that, on those networks and have a reality show. Um, yeah, the the kind of knowledge assessments, right? So there's there's polls, there's, um, it's, it's not super inspiring, right? Like 24% of eighth graders are proficient in civics. And this is something that like, you could argue, am I gonna use calculus, you know, when I'm 30, uh, meh, maybe, but uh, the, the civics proficiency thing is, is, is pretty awful. Um, and between polls and like assessments for kids, you know, that kind of gets at the knowledge piece of it. But I think you just said, right, with voting, that's a skill. Um, anyone can like push a button on a screen, but there's like the skill involved with knowing how to approach looking at the candidates, how to understand the issues. It's it's so much more a critical thinking set of skills than just like, who is my president? Like with the kids at the opening s- the scene, right? <laughs> like they don't know. Yeah, who don't even know who the president is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and all that, all those factoids are great to have and kind of, you know, important for being able to be functional in society, but it's really the kind of skills of why would you need to know, right, who a justice is, or why would you need to know, or how would you apply that information to your life? And so that's kind of what we've been trying to push a little more. And I think why we've kind of solidified ourselves as a really premier, um, provider, if you will, is that we kind of blend those two as much as possible. Like, I can't make it, if I can't make civics relevant to a kid, then I'm failing, right? And as a yeah. former classroom teacher, um, I basically write everything we do and no, everything I write, we have a, a great team that also helps write. Um, I basically just picture a 13 year old girl rolling her eyes at me. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and if, if what I write or what I create, like creates that eye roll, then I have to go back to scratch. <laughs> so it has to be relevant. It has to be, you know, engaging and attractive. Um, otherwise, the kids won't want to know who the president is or they're not going to care about the three branches of government. Yeah, I think doing it as a video game is it was such a smart way to go about it. I wouldn't have thought about it that way, um, which is why I thought about Oregon Trail uh, and even Carmen Sandiego. Right. Like uh, there was I remember uh, where in time is Carmen Sandiego, is, which is sort of happened sort of the end of, I think, kind of the Apple LGS video craze, as I like to call it. Um that taught me history. So, uh, and I, it was all in a game, whereas even though I did love history, I was sort of a bit of a history nerd. I do think that uh, particularly, you know, whereas Carmen Sandiego is, is a geography game, I would not have been maybe as engaged to, to be able to answer and, and win, which is also a human thing, let alone a child thing, right? Humans want to win. And so to sort of take that into people and then kind of uh, make them not realize that they're learning, I think is really smart. And it's agency, right? Like you felt in control of that situation. You had kind of an identity, right, in that game. Yeah. Um, same thing with Oregon Trail. And that's, you know, there's lots of, quote, learning games out there where you're just like poking a bubble to get a number or something. Those are fine for like repetition, you know, access of knowledge pieces. But what we really try to do is kind of push through that and create like a true immersive experience where, you know, you get to have a role to play. You can fail, and that's okay because this like this gets into like um, uh, school identities for kids because you know I was a history nerd too and that's who I was right and so like I didn't expect to be good at math because I was good at the humanities um, and so I just allowed myself to kind of continually fail in math while I was continually good in history now if there would have been a, would have been a way to get me engaged and feel some agency in my math education then I would have probably been pretty yeah. okay at math. So these games try to kind of say, listen, you're in a safe space here. You can fail as much as you want. You're going to learn by failing as much as by succeeding. And that's where games just really capture that wind. 
Well, I'd love to. I'm just going to give our audience kind of a, a little a taste of some of the names of these games, which obviously you can also see on your website. Um, I can't play them because I'm not a teacher or a student, but they sound fantastic. So we have uh, People's Pie. These are just a few of the ones that really caught my attention, uh, where you learn to control the budget of the federal government, which I think is very important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, crisis of nations, you team up with other nations to solve international crises, which I think is a huge thing. I think I've found a lot lately that uh, international relations is something that a lot of uh, Americans maybe don't quite understand or they think that they do. Uh, what was a good one that I liked as well? Um, oh, uh, win the White House, which is super important. You run for your own presidential campaign. Uh, and then this one really caught my attention, Newsfeed Defenders. Find hidden ads, virtual deception, and false reporting at the Newsfeed Defender. Now, this sounds like a new game, I would guess. Yeah, relatively new. Um, and I will say anyone can get on there. The If it asks you to log in, just say no thanks if you don't want to create an account. Oh. There's just ways to get um, like avatar upgrades and all kinds of other fun stuff on the site. But anybody can play. Nobody has to log in. Just, I'm just such so you a know. good girl. I just went, oh, oh, it's, that's for teachers. Oh, I'm not supposed to do that. Nope, nope. Just the lesson plans are restricted to teacher access. But gotcha. everything else okay. is free for everybody to play. Um, yeah, Newsfeed Defenders was a really uh, fun project to work on with the Annenberg um, Public Policy, Center for Public Policy. Um, and really, we were just getting so frustrated, me personally, especially, because if you get on social media for any period of time, you realize that this is not a place to actually get knowledge. Um, get a lot of opinions, but you don't get a lot of facts. And there's no real way to check it. Now they've kind of caught up a little bit with some fact checking, but um, the kids just didn't have the skills and the adults don't have the skills necessarily to kind of yeah. eke out um, good information. So we created a fake social media platform and basically put the kids in charge of running this social media platform group. And they had to decide what's postable, what's acceptable. Um, and the, the, you think, okay, well, whatever, that's fine. But the, the struggle was you had to have high traffic, high integrity, and high focus to win the game. That's hard because, you know, traffic is fine. You can put a bunch of really horrible memes up there, you know what I mean, and get people excited and to post and repost and go viral. But that would hurt your integrity. Your integrity is improved if you post, like, validated good content um, and then... Your focus just requires you, at the beginning of the game, you pick kind of what your area of focus is. Is it health? Um, it's all, you know, teenage kind of focus stuff. Health and sports. Is it, um, you know, just community involvement, things like that. And so if you're off topic, you might get traffic, but it also people are like, why did I join this group? This isn't talking about what I joined about. So those three metrics are very hard to balance out and win. And so that's where you get the kids, right? So they, they're learning kind of passively by trying to beat the game that you know, this meme of a pixelated giant cat from Wisconsin is not news, nor is it real. Um, and there's all kinds of ways that we kind of help kids figure out how to verify stuff within the game. So it's it's a pretty involved game for us, um, but I think it's a super valuable learning tool to kind of use. And grown-ups should totally play it too. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, and how long has this game been available? I think it's been out, is it two years now? I believe um, we've been on a crazy game updating and creation spree over the last two years. So it's a bit of a blur, but I think it came out in 2018. That's a, that's an interesting question and um, just not even on my list of questions, but how often do you update your games for the kids? It, it depends on the game. So one thing is completely out of control with is the death of Flash, Adobe Flash. Um, <laughs> all of our games were in Flash because that was the magic you know, platform. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> 2009, 2010. Yeah. And so we've, in order to keep them alive, we've had to invest significantly and move them into, we're using Unity. Um, and so we were able to get a lot of support and, uh, you know, grants and stuff to do this. And so we've been updating all of those that were made between like 2009 and 2000, let's say 12 was a really hot development period. Those are all getting updated now and they've updated on the site so things like executive command where you play the president um, counties work where you run a county of your own for local government um, those you know those have all been updated and um, so that's that's one need to update 
when the White House is kind of our special flower <laughs> that has to be updated every four years. Um, and it launched in 2012. We updated it for 2016 and moved it into Unity. And then we've just updated it for the 2020 election. Um, now, we don't like actually put the candidates in there because that makes it pretty much stale as soon as we publish it. So you get to create your own candidate, pick your own issues that are based on kind of the most up-to-date political platforms. And then all the state voting uh, polling and stuff is all randomized. So it's really more about teaching the skills and the way to kind of flip a state or to kind of look at polling data than it is necessarily like the actual moment of polling because that's a whole nother learning objective. That's amazing. I mean, I didn't learn about polling until I watched The West Wing in grad school. There you go. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is that, I mean, obviously we did have civics when Jesse and I grew up, but we learned a lot from television from Murphy Brown, from the West Wing, um, because it engaged us. I think the same way we're talking about that a video game is going to engage. This is, you know, a, a dramatic story. Uh, there's so many issues, let alone um, cultural uh, staples that have been, well, have become more of the norm, I think, because someone sees it on television and they can relate to it more. Now, I would love to talk about, do you have particular games that are the most popular I know that when I actually have uh, been doing a lot of research on you guys and I watched a couple of videos on your website, particularly interviews with uh, Justice Sotomayor, and she said that the most popular game was something called Do I Have a Right? Um, yeah, so Do I Have a Right was actually one of our first games and it has gotten updated as well and it is a beloved um, product. Basically what you do is, I'll take it from the game side first and then what you actually yeah, am sneaking into your brains um, next. But first you, you're, you're given a law practice and your job is to defend people's rights. So basically folks come into your office, have a complaint um, about their rights being infringed upon and then you decide based on reading that, like, yeah, you've got a right, right? Which hints the name. Um, and then you have to have lawyers that cover those amendments that protect your rights. So you'll have somebody come in and maybe you start out with a First Amendment lawyer and says, hey, you know, I wrote a, uh, a blog saying I didn't like my neighbor that much. My neighbor has now, you know, turned off Internet in my house. Do I have a right to, to say these things? And you're like, yeah, you have one. And let me introduce you to your lawyer. So that's the very basic piece of it. As you get busier, you earn points by doing the right, you know, doing a good job. And then you hire more lawyers. And then you, um, I'll just say, decorate your, your office to get more desks, more seating areas. You can even like get a dog and a cat for the office. And every single thing that you Aww. do to your office space actually um, increases either the wait time for your clients. So they'll, they'll be more patient with you because they do get mad and leave. Um, they'll increase the speed of your lawyers or the, your skill of your lawyers. Um, but at the core, what you're asking the kids to do is identify a right or not and then match it to the corresponding amendment that protects that right. And what happens is kids get addicted to this game and, and play it over and over and over again um, and walk away and the teacher will talk to them about the amendments and they'll be able to recall all the amendments and what rights they protect. Um, that is kind of a, a, a march, <laughs> a long walk to take to get the kids to do it based on paper. And so we really try to be like, okay, well, what's a way to really pull them in, right? So there's the whole keeping the office managed, like resource management stuff. But then there's the content, which is, well, if you've got folks like soldiers in your house saying that they're going to use your pool and sleep in your basement and you don't want them there, we've got a third amendment lawyer for that. And that's, that's I mean, that's the core of the game. It's so engaging and complicated beyond that, like for the fun parts, but that's really what the game does. And it has been our most popular game since the moment it came out. And why do you think it's so popular with kids? I think the resource management part of it is kind of a whole nother level um, to a learning game because, you know, you kind of do the content part just to be able to do the, you know, upgrading your office or putting an ad in the quote paper in the game to get more people to come in. And it's also kind of fast paced. Um, with learning games, especially, you don't want to take away time when they're reading because everyone has different reading um, speeds. So the game pauses while you read, but when you're running around and trying to do things, you really have to be fast. And so there's kind of an element of stress and, um, you know, 
running around like a chicken with your head cut off is what I call that game, basically. <laughs> That's a subtitle. Um, and it just really engages kids such that, like, I remember having one, oh, I think seventh grader say that you really snuck the learning in my brain this time. <laughs> you know, and I just, like, dusted my shoulder off. I'm like, I am done here. <laughs> and what kind of feedback are you getting from the teachers? I mean, I know that you've been around for a long time, but do you feel that as, as times have changed, certain games are becoming more popular or certain games are needed more? I think there was a response because Newsfeed Defenders is pretty complicated, not in a bad way at all. But like we mm-hmm. have some pretty simple games that may take, you know, 10 minutes to play and other games take 30 minutes or 45 if you're really, you know, super engaged. Um, and I think Newsfeed, even though, again, it's complicated, it was really kind of answering a call, you know, of like help. <laughs> because, you know, kids, I heard teachers say, you know, kids are coming in with all these ideas that are unfounded, meme-based, you know, unfactual things. And I have to spend half of my class period debunking these things when they should just have oh, the skills wow. to do it themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's been one thing. Um, when the White House and Cast Your Vote, which is a relatively newer upgrade that we've made, um, are really popular around election seasons every year um, because a lot of times teachers are like, there's so much to teach. Do I teach just the process of the election? Do I teach the federal and the state and local elections? Do I teach the individual people in my area, like on my ballot? Do I teach the issues? Like there's so many different like directions you can take and it's a lot of information. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, consternation around (laughs) these kind of issues as well as these discussions. So they really kind of look to our games to kind of help set a basic uh, shared knowledge across the class, a way to get them talking about this stuff in a very engaged way. Um, And I think that helps a lot. So according to your website, I see that you got uh, 6 million students in 50 states. Seven and a half now. It keeps, wow. It just keeps growing. <laughs> I was going to ask if that was accurate. That's why I was I was reading it. And uh, 269K teachers. Yes. And uh, 100 million plays. 120 now. Yep. Every every day I look, it's different. <laughs> it's good. It's going the right direction. Now, are, are these the kind of games that you feel currently with a lot of schools not being in session are becoming a lot more sought after from maybe teachers who haven't been using it? Or has it really stayed the same? Yeah, I think, you know, the teachers who have been using us all along are just like, thank goodness, right? It's not going to be that much of an uphill battle to move to virtual. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think that we've been working really hard at trying to um, figure out how to support our teachers during this kind of insane time. Uh, We always joke that whatever problem we're trying to solve in 2020, two more problems pop up. So (laughs) we're we're trying to support that. So if like on our site, we've done teacher toolkits, we've got a parent toolkit, because that's the other reality is that, you know, all the stuff's going on and maybe your kid doesn't ever get sent home civics homework. They don't have a class. They don't even have social studies right now in some cases. Um, And so what we've tried to do is kind of expand our idea of who an educator is to be literally anyone <laughs> willing to work with kids on a, on a subject. So there's no expertise needed, right? Like, so we've really tried to make it focused for parents and then also for all these variety of blended classroom or virtual instructional options. Um, because I, you know, I taught for 10 years and I have never been more glad that I got into curriculum just because like it just it hurts my soul because the teachers have and the parents have so many things to you know think about and plan for and recalibrate for that you know we're just trying to work really hard to to solve as much as we can for them by creating these easy to to execute things sorry at home for parents but is that something that is new because of what's going on or yep Um, We've had, you know, we've always had a bit of a parent interest area from like homeschool teachers and, you know, just the like super civic-y folks that just are, you know, nerding out about it or people who just know that their kids aren't getting what they need. But we've never really, um, I would say, talked directly to parents in a way that we've done since March. Mm -hmm. We've, We've put a lot of effort and put a lot of things on hold just to be able to kind of answer this moment as much as we can. Now, I'd love to talk about, um, because uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I got to see uh, the amazing Justice Sotomayor speak. 
Uh, and she's been a really wonderful um, mouthpiece for your company. Um, or I guess I should say organization. I apologize. That's organization. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> semantics. Civic semantics. Uh, but I would love for you to talk about how she's sort of taken over the mantle. I know that she's referred to Justice O'Connor as a hero of hers. And that this is also something that, she, as well as Justice O'Connor, that she really believes is important. Yeah, she's amazing. I, I've, I've been so lucky to be able to, you know, speak with her at a number of, you know, our board meetings or gatherings or whatever. And she is, she gets it. I don't know how else to say that, but she, she really does understand on a very deep level what Justice O'Connor was trying to achieve. And she's also super critical in our move towards creating more um, supports for English language learners. Um, English language learners, I'm not talking like I, I can speak English so well. Um, but the idea here is that we have been, as we've been updating these games, we've been translating them into Spanish and we've been creating more um, kind of assistant tools within the game to help anyone who may not be a native language speaker. Um, and this not only helps that crew, but it also helps um, people who may have any reading disabilities or struggling with reader you know, skills, because um, we really, to, in order to get to quote all the kids in America, which Justice O'Connor gave us that that job, um, Justice Sotomayor was like, okay, well, you need to like, think bigger. And that's what we've been doing since she's kind of joined the board is really focus on um, our resources, how they can be more inclusive, how they can be more accessible. And uh, she's just been an amazing force of nature to, to work with. Well, something that really took me that she said was it's been well documented that the partisan discourse in our country followed very closely on the heels of schools stopping to teach civic education something that again because I did not realize that civics was not taught at all as part of the curriculum because I am so far out of school mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I, I have young nephews they're not in school yet what you're doing do you feel is making that important to the students whereas before sure. It wasn't. I think kind of acknowledging that students have a voice too is a really a first step in this. Um, so often you can like on from on high talk about, well, you know, people need to be able to do this, that or the other, but I'm not really interested in hearing you. <laughs> um, that's a problem. And so we've always kind of looked at student voice as a critical piece of what we do. Um, and I think more so now it's a huge, huge import. Um, in fact, we just had uh, some of our curriculum team engage with uh, students on what they think of what our curriculum does and what they want to see more of. And it kind of boggles the mind, but it warms the heart that, you know, these kids were saying, we want help on how to talk about controversial stuff. We want help. We want skills to allow us to talk to people that we don't agree with. And this wasn't prompted. This is what they said they needed more of in the classroom, in their own classrooms, not just oh, wow. classrooms. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> So we just launched a thing on uh, controversial topics um, that really helps teachers kind of feel safe and give them the, the, the kind of steps they need to take to create a safe classroom for this, for everyone. Um, a lot of teachers I always, you know, spoke to, and I ran into this myself when I was teaching that, you know, you bring up a controversial topic, you support your kids in talking through it, and you get a call from your principal the next morning. Don't do that again. <laughs> you know, um, not all administrations are like that, but, um, you know, you could do it really wrong and not mean to. So what we're trying to do is support teachers to feel comfortable in setting up their classrooms, virtual or otherwise, to kind of be a, a place where everyone gets to be heard, that they all have skills in how to converse with each other. Um, and so I'm really excited about that, that direction. Um, but I think just let, letting kids share their experiences and find their connections to the content, right? So like we could be talking about um, the Nashville sit-ins in 1960 where they, you know, integrated the businesses in downtown Nashville. Like you could just teach that or you could teach it and then have the kids engage about like, so what do you see around you today that may need changed? Or how do you think you would feel if you were sitting at that lunch counter getting a milkshake poured on you? Like, you know, let them talk about things, not just receive. Um, I think unless we get that kind of instruction, we're not going to be able to talk to each other about things, you know, that are hot points. <laughs> no, I agree. That's a really good point. I, I find that a lot of people don't know how to debate. They don't understand the difference between a 
intellectual critical debate and just screaming your opinion, so to speak. And I think it's so important. And I, it took me a while to realize that what was happening because I was brought up with this idea of what debate was. It's something I didn't, hadn't even thought about when thinking of you guys. And so that really warms my heart that that's something that's happening, that the kids are learning critical thinking on how to debate because they want to. And understanding the bigger ideas, right? And I think the other thing that even internally our curriculum team was t debating was, you know, when I hear the word debate, I think like there's rules and you stand at a podium and you don't mm -hmm. have to believe in what you say, you just do it, right? And there's a way to get yeah. points for stuff. You, you know, we are so past that, right? That, that has a completely valid place in, you know, activities. But, you know, it's more of understanding the other person that you're speaking to, you know, understanding where they get their information from, you know, um, understanding where you get your information from. There's so many, so many skills, right, that that are important in being able to have a civil conversation. Um, and, you know, back to Justice Sotomayor, she um, did a, a talk with kids in D.C. with Neil Gorsuch, right? So the two justices were there saying, we don't agree on much, you think, right? But we actually are very civil. We have conversations all the time. We agree on a lot more than you think we agree on. And we're, we're colleagues and I, you know, I'd like to think the kids really could appreciate it, but as an adult and the, all the other adults in the room being so used to this, yeah. you know, partisan craziness was just like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> you know, and, and the whole, you know, story with RBG and, um, I have not had enough coffee today. Oh, uh, they went to the Alfred yeah, together. Yeah, Scalia. Scalia. So sorry. Scalia, yeah. Those justices <laughs> were like best friends. They travel constantly, you know, and so you can have some really deep deep disagreements with someone and still show up to work the next day and, and, and be, you know, nice. Um, where those things, at least I think sometimes just feel like that would be a relationship breaker, right? If you don't have the skills to move past it. So I think that she has been a really great model for that. And I think cares deeply about it in working across with other justices, um, having, inviting them to speak with her when Isovix does their chats and stuff like that, because, um, you know, the, the more we can appreciate the humanness of civics, the also, I think, the better we can do oh, in I teaching love that. it. The, the humanness of civics. I love that. Uh, I mean, this is a bit of a side note, but what I loved about when she spoke at the Met was it was supposed to be a interview, interviewee on the stage in two chairs. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she asked, had you heard about this? And yeah. she asked if she could, this is for our audience then, but she asked if she could just go into the audience and answer questions as she shook every person's hand. It was so beautiful. That's what she did with the kids. Like, I've never seen her speak at an event where she doesn't do that. Ah, oh, that's her thing. Okay. <laughs> and, but, I mean, it's beautiful. And it, it's so powerful because it was, and I, I love watching people set the stage up for her and just, like, shaking my head knowing, like, <laughs> I hope you got a good mic because she's going to be on the move. And watching her engage with people, whether they're kids or adults, I mean, she she walked around this school in D.C. and just like would put her hand on their shoulder and talk to them like they're the only person in the room. And usually, unless you're like a politician or entertainer, you don't really have that kind of door opening warmth <laughs> necessarily. Um, and she has it. And it's just it's fantastic to watch her because she... When she talks to you, she's talking to you. She's not performing, um, you know, for an audience. And it's just magical. It's just magical. And, you know, kids will come up to me, like, you know, asking her for a hug. And she gives them, you know, she's just a kind, warm, really brilliant individual that I, I just have such a pleasure um, having on our team. No, I, I, I always admired her, but I, I went out of that with sort of a really newfound respect that uh, – I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't have, because of course I respected her, but it just, it was a whole new, deeper, there you go, thank you. It was, yeah, it was just, it was really deeper and it, it felt so, uh, such a connection. Now, um, I was wondering, because I think when some people think of civics, they think of a lot of the things that we've spoken about, right? We, uh, the branches of government, um, rights, voting. Are there any uh, games or skills that you teach that you think people would be surprised fall under your civics campaign? Yeah, I guess there's two. Um, cast your vote uh, is actually a pretty deep game about getting ready to vote, not voting. Um, because, you know, I'm even guilty of this myself is like, I'll go to the ballot and know maybe three races that I know about. And then, oops, there's a referendum I wasn't prepared for or, uh, 
what? <laughs> you know what I mean? There, there's maybe half the ballot I'm not familiar with. And that's, that's not good, right? Because, you know, it's, you got to be fully engaged, not just partially engaged. So we really focused on kind of the skills of researching candidates, looking at their endorsements, looking at pros and cons for um, the different referendums you might come across. And we just create a fictional, you know, a fictional local election that you work with. Um, and I think that might be seen as a little in the weeds, but that is more civics to me than knowing the three branches, um, knowing how to get information, knowing where to get that information and knowing what to do with it. Because the game actually kind of assesses your quote, gives you a poll to see where you feel about these particular items. You kind of, you give your, your preferences. And then as you learn about the candidates at the end of the game, it lets you know how aligned you were with the candidate that you voted for. Right. Or you may have seen a red flag or two that worried you, but did you vote past that red flag or did you let yourself get your mind changed? Right. So to me, that is a much more passionate game for me because it's really about knowing before you go and that it's not impossible to do. Um, there are a lot of much easier ways than a video game like we've created in a fictional space for adults to find that stuff out. But really, it's the practice. It's the it's the um, getting the kids in, in the, you know, cycle of doing this before an election that I really I think are um, to me is much more what I think civics is than just, re- you know, reciting the terms of office of your senators or your um, representatives. Um, so that's one. And then the other one, I would say activate. Um, that's a game that has you pick something that you care about and then you go through the process of building a movement to get people to support your idea. Whether it's, you know, I think we did uh, animal welfare, we did helping families, and um, there was another topic. And so basically it's kind of a bunch of mini games and activities that show that you can grow something from your bedroom to a national campaign. And you have different options to kind of get people involved and engaged as you grow your movement. And so that that's another thing where it's like, you know, civics is kind of a pretty active, a pretty personal thing. And we need to get kids to practice those things personally, because not everybody's going to be the president, right? Not everybody's going to be run for office. So there's so many more things that you can do and be a part of, quote, civics. And that's where I think really the opportunity is for our youth today to see that. Now, have you gotten any feedback from kids who are now adults and how they realize how important these games were for them to become knowledgeable voters? Yeah, we, we kind of lose them after school, right? Because they're, you know, they don't use their accounts anymore and they don't often email. <laughs> so it's, it's more into now that I've been there 10 years, like if I meet someone that's about 15 and over, because, <laughs> you know, we're in like half the schools in America now. So I've got a 50-50 chance. Um and I have had teachers, young teachers, say that they experienced us in their classrooms when they were uh, students. I've had, um, I met a girl who was about 16 at the playground when I took my daughter there. She was there with her cousins and she said she played iCivics and that, you know, she, she found it really fun and that she, like, can talk more now with people about civics, which I appreciated, you know, that little vignette. Um I've also, this is more on the parent side, but I've had parents email me saying that their kid brought this, uh, a game home and then they had a long debate over like rights and responsibilities at the dinner table. (laughs) And at one point the dad got, um, schooled and finally was just like, (laughs) all right, you got me fine. (laughs) I give up. (laughs) So, um, and, and actually I have had two other people that I've talked to that are either involved in political campaigns as adults and that played our games. So it's, you know, it's little anecdotes here and there just from the folks that we get to talk to occasionally um, that really, I don't know, light a fire, which feels great. Do you feel that uh, iCivics has made uh, civics sort of be pushed back into the regular curriculum or are they really just falling back on you? It's... It is a multi-targeted effort, (laughs) I will put it that way. Um, So much so that we really focused, we created this whole kind of other aspect of our organization called CivX Now. Um, And that really is focused on getting all the civics and civic adjacent organizations and educational groups and kind of 
folks to think about because every you know every classroom is based on state standards and unless those standards change it's going to be pretty hard to move you know move the ball forward so they really focus while we're working on the curriculum the games the teacher support civics now is really working on how do we get states to better appreciate and understand um, the importance of civic education so in 2010 florida passed just so happened to be the Sandra Day O'Connor Act that required a semester of civic. Oh, wow. High stakes testing. Um, because you've probably heard if it's not tested, it's not taught. So we kind of have to approach this from a million ways of like get, getting the school boards at the state level to care enough to change the standards or the graduation requirements or, you know, whatever um, to try to get that where the school's are both inspired to do it because iCivics is awesome and that gets really their kids involved and they have a civic mission at the school level, but also at the state level to understand that, you know, you guys can kind of hand this down as well and support your teachers in doing so. I know Illinois also, I think, just passed a civic education focus as well. So that's starting to happen. Um, but it's it's taking, I think we've got like 120 some organizations on the civex side that are really focusing on getting the word out, supporting, educating people. That's it's a huge piece of this, right? Educating people, educating elected officials about why this actually matters and that there are things out there that can help it. So that's a good question. It seems to me, and I am such a layman about this, so hopefully I don't sound foolish, that the curriculum is based uh, on a state-by-state as opposed to a national curriculum. So did this all happen overnight where civics was just gone or... Is it more just a sort of slowly was taken away from different states until it was gone? I think, you know, it, it had some value. You know, it, it was there before, right? You had like the, the Cold War, the, you know, 40s and 50s, where there was a lot of kind of, I would call it more patriotic education mm-hmm. um, with civic education as a part of that. And then basically the space race happened. Kennedy wanted STEM in schools, and it basically has just been a downhill slide from there. Um, As testing, standardized testing has become more and more the norm, that's another thing that keeps getting pushed pushed down in um, to the benefit of STEM. So I think for civics to really continue to, you know, regain some ground here in classrooms, we need to innovate towards getting civics incorporated in STEM right? Like you, we all have math problems with words in it. <laughs> it could be about <laughs> polling, right? Or if we're going to learn about graphs, why don't we learn yeah. about, you know, a demographic graph, yeah. graph, stuff like that. So, and then science, there's this whole space called citizen science where people go out and do bird surveys and butterfly surveys and like, you know, help with scientific experiments and research. So it's there. We could just really amplify it, right? So you're getting some standards, that can be inclusive of civic content. Um, so it's it's an uphill battle to get us back in the classroom because there's only so many hours in the day, even less so now with virtual stuff. Um, but I think understanding that social studies and history, because I always say history is civics and civics is history, you can't separate True. the two, um, that there's just a lot of different directions and kind of approaches that we have to take to get more civics in front of more kids. Not to mention, if you are a more informed voter, there possibly could be more funding for STEM. Exactly. And, and just knowing that taxes fund things. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people don't realize how, yeah, how it works. And, you know, when you know this stuff, I think you sometimes, at least I used to take it for granted when you think, well, I learned all this in school, so everyone else must learn all this in school. Um, you know, you hear all about new math. I have no idea what new math is, <laughs> um, but, you know, I was taught on old math and I, I'm sure that if I, you know, at some point when my nephew is older, helped him with his homework, I would not be able to <laughs> because it's all new. But you don't hear about, I guess, what's taken away as opposed to what's changing. Right. And I think it's just been such a slow decline in civics that it hasn't been felt. It's like it's not a ripping a Band-Aid situation, right? It's like the Band-Aid has slowly dissolved over time. It's just not It's just not there as much as it could be. And we're feeling that, right? I think over the last 15, 20 years, like it's, it's the lack of civic knowledge has kind of contributed to the lack of civic discourse, the lack of engagement 
uh, from folks and because I don't really remember much other than a civic class in high school that was I loved my teacher to death but it was just facts right and I was good at Agreed. facts yeah it didn't get me prepared you know it's like if, if we don't teach kids how to balance a checkbook we're not doing our job if we don't teach kids how to like understand their rights we're not doing our job because <laughs> that's what matters when you leave school well that's a good question do they still teach kids how to balance a checkbook uh, I, you know, if you're lucky enough to get an uh, economics class or a home ec. Oh, yeah, I guess so. It all depends on your schedules. And that, that's the other thing is like if you make civics a, a requirement versus an elective, right? Like that's how to make it equitable because, you know, in a lot of schools, you're on a track and you get to take classes in that track. And that's that's your opportunity. I know you also mentioned, you know, kids who have language issues. I'm dyslexic. So sometimes if I had to have a certain class because I needed more hours, that meant that something else was going to go away, whether I realized they took it away from me or not. Yeah. And the, and the equity issue is huge, right? Like you may go to a school that's really well funded and has a really great civic mission and like, you know, gives kids really rich, amazing opportunities to get engaged, right? They don't need our help. <laughs> They're good. They already have the power and the influence and the privileges that come with going to a school like that has, right? Where you might go to another school in a less well-funded area that can barely get the basics across and they don't have rich, engaging things. Um, But you also have rich schools that don't have these opportunities and poorer schools that do have these opportunities. So it's not like always, you know, a default by income levels, but... um, there, this should not be something that is a privilege. Like iCivics needs to be, is a right. Not iCivics, sorry. Civic education should be a right. And we're really working to that end by making this stuff free, super easy to use, super accessible. Um, the civics now work of getting you know, it deemed necessary by the states such that school districts can get maybe funding to do or support in doing. Um, because this this shouldn't be based on income or um, how engaged your teacher just happens to be in the subject. Like I knew a lot about the Civil War because my history teacher was obsessed. He was a reenactor, right? Oh wow! You know, ask me about the Civil Rights Movement or suffrage. I couldn't tell you much. I can now, obviously, but I couldn't then, right? So you know, you shouldn't have a lottery of who your teacher is and who they're what they're interested in to determine how much civic knowledge you access in school. It's just that's just absurd. Yeah, I was lucky. I had a a great uh, history teacher my junior year. It was his first year teaching, so he was so creative, particularly because we mostly were doing the 20th century. So he'd bring in Ohio, and we'd listen to that, and he'd talk about what was happening in the 60s and the 70s. And it it made us more engaged. But then because he was so creative, the, the administration there made him stop a lot of the special things that he was doing. And I think that happens a lot, too, is that creativity in teaching sometimes gets uh, squelched because they think that it's not part of the way that you teach people, which I think is unfortunate. Yeah. And I think as we like, if we can move the needle to understand civics as more than just facts and figures, um, there's going to have to be a comfort level achieved with um, getting personal with civics, like getting into your local community and seeing what local educational opportunities happen. Like Let's talk about that pothole down the street. Let's talk about getting a stop sign put in at this really dangerous intersection. Um, that stuff involves a little bit of risk, right? To like go out into the world and talk to people and ask people to engage with you or your class. Um, but without it, I mean, my goodness, civics just becomes super boring again. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, right now it's on the teacher and that's, the teacher has enough on them. <laughs> We want to we want to lift that burden a little bit and and try to make it more of a generally held value. So, if those out there want to find out more information about iCivics or to volunteer or donate or obviously download for their homeschooling, what can they do? Sure. So, iCivics.org, I-C-I-V-I-C-S.org. Um, that's our website, and anyone can go on there, play the games. There's a big play button. Um, teachers and homeschooling folks, if you're interested, you can uh, create a free teacher account. That'll get you access to your um, lesson plans and uh, additional teacher and educator tools. Um, and then the CivX now, um, you can go from, uh, it's C-I-V 
the letter X now.org. And that's if you're more interested in kind of the um, getting the word out and the, just the bigger idea of like why we need civics in schools. They're there for you. Um, but yeah, get on there and play. I mean, I've, I've got so many grownups like tell me that they've lost an hour or two. <laughs> oh, I'm excited now that I know I can play the game. Oh, come on, join us. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know when we emailed, you said that you did watch Murphy Brown. So you don't have to answer this question, but since it is the topic and you did watch it, do you have any thoughts or memories of watching Murphy Brown uh, as a child that helped you through adulthood? <laughs> Absolutely. Eight to 18 is when she was on for me. Um, you can do the math if you want to know how old I am. But um, I think between that show and Seinfeld and Friends, that was a magical period of, of TV. Um, the camaraderie on that show has basically set the bar for relationships for me, for friendships. <laughs> um, kind of just the fiery wit and, and back and forth I just appreciated so much as a kid. Um, and I appreciated that those people had to be smart to, to have that back and forth and so mm -hmm. I just I don't know I just I think that created a really high bar for how I engage with people um, and who I'm looking for is my like pack I suppose <laughs> oh I love that yeah make your own family yeah and I love the idea like I, for whatever reason when I hear the word Murphy Brown I think of her and Eldon's relationship and for whatever reason as a kid something really stuck to me there I I, I can't even put words to it but I loved him um, and just kind of his uh, I don't know, knowledge bombs and his wisdom. I always appreciated him and his, his calming presence on the show <laughs> to a degree. Well, something we also talk about in the show is that for us growing up, and we're about in the same range there as you, um, that it was really the only thing that had platonic relationships, platonic friendships, which is so rare. And it showed that you can be friends with someone of the opposite sex. And be respectful of each other and yeah. disagree. And, you know, I just... I don't know. I just found that to be such an empowering show to watch as a kid. And, you know, I was lucky to have parents who were just like, literally do whatever you want. You've got zero things holding you back, whatever. And just watching these people engage in a space that had um, influence and had whatever. I mean, I ended up being a teacher, you know, from that. But I, I basically got to have my own pack in class <laughs> and, and, and have that. But I just, I don't know. She just, that show was just really novel to me as a kid. Um, you know, it was in competition with what, uh, Magnum P.I. and, uh, you know, those shows. So <laughs> it just really stuck out for me. Oh, that's so amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope that everyone out there has learned something. I know that I have, and I can't wait to learn more as I have all this free time to play video games. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to say that I have not asked to share with people? No, I think, you know, we tend to talk down to kids a lot and assume that they're just kind of passive recipients of things. And I think if you have a kid in your life, and I mean, I've got a three-year-old and I have you know work with 18-year-olds. So anybody in that area, um, ask them what they think about things. You know, ask them how they're feeling about stuff and let them talk because, you know, when they say out of the mouths of babes, they're not kidding. Um and I think if we allow kids to have more voice, whether it's just in conversations with adults or in the family or at school, um, I think we might actually learn a lot from them. I know I have. So I think just, you know, seeing kids is not a thing to fix, but as, as a co-conspirator in life and, and, and politics and, and civics and stuff, um, they have opinions, trust me. So <laughs> it's always fun to hear them. Yes, they do. <laughs> That's such a great way to end. That's so profound. I love that. 